the written word of the living God. The Father's love letter to his people. All of it was spirit-breathed. Through it, he wants to reveal his love for you. seek him? Will you come to him just as you are and let him speak life over you? All right. Good evening. Uh, it's great to see you guys tonight. And you know, it just dawned on me that there's a, there's a real possibility that, uh, that tonight I might be greeting those that are watching tomorrow morning, uh, just in case I can't get out of my driveway. Uh, I don't know what, what to expect uh, from the weather that's supposed to be coming, but we'll see. You know, it just always amazes me that it always happens on Sunday morning, you know? Seems like it didn't happen the rest of the week, but man, it always seems to, to happen at that time. So if you're watching on Sunday morning, hey, welcome. I'm glad you tuned in uh, today. But you guys here on Saturday night, I'm glad that you're here too. We're going to be in the Gospel of John tonight, chapter 15, and that's where we're spending most of our time. And so tonight's, again, one of those uh, times when you're going to really want to have it in front of you. If you got it on your device, you brought your Bibles with you, great. If you didn't, uh, we do have some available as usual. And tonight you really want to have that in front of you because we're going to walk through those uh, verses that you see there in your notes in just a moment, okay? We um, just have, on the heels of what Damien and Alica shared, kind of excited in two weeks when we're going to be uh, ushered into our, uh, our emphasis of mission, uh, our team has put together a devotional. So if you uh, don't know what to do with yourself after you're done with the weeks that we've been in 40 Days in the Word and your workbooks and all the, the regular devotions, we're going to put this into your hand for that two-week period of time to kind of follow through and walk through uh, some, some very special uh, lessons and teachings uh, that they've put together for us. So we'll be handing that out uh, coming up in the next uh, couple weeks. So we look forward to that as well. We are in the fifth week. We've only got one more week after tonight. Uh, this is the fifth week. I hope you guys are hanging in there. Uh, I know that we've got many people that are uh, walking through this as far as part of the groups. I'm hearing more and more stories coming. And in fact, speaking of that, if you have a story of how God has touched you uh, during this season, uh, I want to encourage you, if you could, let us know about it. Next week, we're going to celebrate. I'm going to be passing on to you a number of stories we've already received. But if you've got one, you can just text or um, email to stories at northshorechristian.org, okay? How God's touched you or, you know, one of the things I'm anxious to hear about is what is your group going to do for the Micah 6-8 project? I'm hearing a lot of creative things uh, that are emerging. And if you've got one of those, would you kind of let us know? And just to, just to testify of what God's doing through uh, this season in the life of our church, okay? Looking forward to that. Tonight, uh, as we pick up where we've been, just to kind of recount these past weeks that we've been walking through this together, you know that we talked about the first week. We talked about the, the inspiration of the Word of God and, and why uh, we understand and know, even internally, the proof that it is God's Word indeed. It's inspired by Him. Talked about the foundation of why He gave it to us, which was to change us, thoroughly change us, 
Uh, the third week, we talked about what, what we could see in the Word through the illumination and how He opens our eyes to see things that we couldn't see otherwise unless the Holy Spirit was in us and kind of turned the light on so we could understand and, and begin to appreciate it uh, more. And then last week, we started kind of digging into, uh, into r- the realities of just studying our Bible. Never have done this. Uh, in all my years of ministry, never taken you in a practical, pragmatic way to just some of the principles to apply as we study the Word of God. And I, I, I almost have to apologize for that because my, my role, my, my responsibility, my calling is to equip you uh, to grow and to mature in your spiritual walk. And one of the things of maturity is to be able to feed yourself, right? Not to be dependent upon somebody else. And so that's gonna come as you apply the things that we've been learning, especially last week. We talked about observation, and the four categories of every Bible study are observation, uh, are um, um, interpretation, and then correlation, and then application. So basically you're saying is, what does it say? When you read through a text, what does it say? The in- interpretation, what does it mean? When you talk about correlation, are there any other verses that are going to help you to understand or to enlighten you on what, what you're reading there? And then the last thing, of course, is what are we going to do with it? How are we going to put it into practice in the application? Now, if you were with us last week, you know, man, we just really scratched the surface. We were just kind of giving you an overview of those areas. And uh, I just realized how important this whole subject of interpretation really is. And guys, I tell you, if if I look at my, again, my key responsibility as a shepherd of the flock, uh, if if you remember even Apostle Paul challenging the leaders of Ephesus when he left to the elders and to the spiritual leaders, his number one concern was that they protect the flock from false teaching, wasn't it? So there's gonna be wolves that are gonna come in. There's gonna be false teachers that are gonna come in. And if we don't know how to detect that, friends, we're sitting ducks. And especially in the world today of what they're coming after us, the culture's coming after us, uh, more and more it's going to require believers to know what the Word of God says and not be subject to every wind of doctrine as the Scripture talks about. So tonight we're, gonna, we're going to kind of dig down in that particular area of uh, interpretation and the place I wanted to take you tonight is to John 15, a very, very important passage, even here at North Shore. Uh, you know, something, something that we did, uh, you know, not that long ago, is really kind of come together as the spiritual leaders, the elders, the staff of our church, and to identify, really, what are the things that we're trying to build into our culture? A lot of times organizations will use the phrase core values. You hear that? The core values, meaning these are the things that we want to be about. And if you look out in our lobby or around our campus, you're going to see these listed, and there's four of them. And the number one core value that we speak of is to abide in Jesus Christ, to abide in Christ or to remain in him. And why is that? And it's from this text that we're going to look at tonight is because nothing of consequence is going to come apart from being connected to Jesus. You agree with that? Nothing, nothing of value or consequence or fruit is going to come without being connected to Christ or abiding or remaining in him. And this is what Jesus is is speaking about in this passage. So tonight what I want to do, I'm going to read uh, a fairly lengthy section, okay? We're going to look at the first 17 verses of chapter 15, and then what I'm going to do is kind of take you back over those, 
and I'm gonna walk you through four principles of interpretation that we can apply to any passage of scripture that we're looking at so that we can get to the true meaning of which was intended there, all right? So let's do that if you have your Bibles open or um, whatever you have it on. Let's just look at it together. In verse one, Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. Uh, that, you know, when you think about that, there's that phrase that, that we base our core value on, okay? He says, abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into a, the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down their life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master's doing. But I have called you friends For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask in the Father or ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Could we pray real quick? Lord, uh, as we approach your word tonight, We know that it's living, we know it's powerful, that it's sharper than a two-edged sword. Uh, We've been reminded of that this week in our groups and our life together. And we just trust God tonight that that would be true uh, for each one in this room. God, as that word goes out, I pray that it'll speak to hearts, that it'll call us uh, to a place of obedience and of surrender and of response uh, according to your will. So we commit this time to you. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, when we go back to this passage and, um, and see what, what he's, he's, uh, he's spoken of here, one of the things uh, that's interesting as this unfolds, you know, when you start to interpret this, you, you know that this whole section of Scripture is so packed with truth. One of the first things that we learned last week was observation. And if you were observing this and the words, if there were words that would immediately jump out at you that were repeated There's probably two more than any other words in this whole section that would jump out, right? What are they? Abide, and then what would the second word be? Fruit. There's the the word fruit there, or fruitfulness, is used nine times in that section, okay? And so 
when we begin to approach this passage in light of that, uh, one of the things that we're gonna ask ourselves is, okay, wh- what, is, what does that mean? Now, most of us here have probably shared a scripture or an idea from scripture with somebody, maybe you're in a conversation with them, and have you ever heard somebody come back at you and say, that's your interpretation? That's your interpretation. Now, what are they saying by that? What they're truly implying is, is that in their thinking, there are many interpretations that are valid, and you can choose whichever one you want to choose. And tonight, we need to just settle this. Friends, when you read a passage of scripture, there is only one meaning that is intended. There's one meaning that is intended. There may be several or many applications to that meaning. Do you understand the distinction? There's one meaning with many applications potential. For example, if you are reading a particular passage, it has a meaning, but it might have a different application if you're a young person or if you're older. It may have a different application if you're a woman or you're a man. It may have a different application if, uh, if it was in the first century or if it was the 21st century. But there's really only one meaning that the, that the author intended there. And that's an important basis, a foundation of which, uh, which we're gonna build on here. So there are some rules of interpretation. One of the reasons we've selected this particular passage is because it's not uncommon to read through the scriptures and all of a sudden get to a verse that's a little sticky. You ever have that happen? Where you're kind of going, wow, what did he mean by that? And it just, it just doesn't uh, maybe immediately make sense to you. And so the one in this passage uh, that likely would fall into that category is verse six. And I want you to just look at that again with me. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. Okay? You ever heard that passage? Now, you know, if you're in the NIV, it's going to say it just a little bit different, but here's, here's basically what it's saying. If you don't abide in me, then in this analogy, he's using the vine and the branches. He said the branches, of course, are going to begin to wither because they're not connected to the vine. There's not going to be any fruit. Because if you abide in me, he says, that's how the fruit is going to come. And so then what is it good for? He says, it's, it's not good for anything. It's going to be gathered up and it's going to be thrown into the fire. Now, here's what can happen. And this is not uncommon for somebody to read that passage of scripture and they're making some assumptions. They're going to read into it and they're going to say, well, he obviously is talking about a, a branch that does not produce fruit. And if you assume that the fruit he's talking about there maybe is the fruit of of winning somebody to Christ, of multiplying yourself, or of other Christians that will result of your faith being passed on to them. If it's other Christians, and and if you read this, and some, again, would would maybe even interpret it this way, and they'd say that, um, that if you don't produce other Christians, if you don't lead other people to Christ, then you're worthless. And all you're good for is to be thrown into the fire. And of course, we know what the fire represents, right? It's hell. So, so you're going to walk away if that, with that understanding. And somebody would say, well, if, I don't, if I'm not leading people to Christ, then I'm going to go to hell. Do you understand the danger of that? Huh? And then on top of it, Jesus says, this is what I'm sharing you so that your joy may be full. <laughs> now, would that make your joy full? <laughs> Huh? Would that make you happy? Would you walk away happy if that was your understanding of that? 
And I just, I, I, I pull that out tonight because how important it is to get to the meaning of what he's saying. So could we do that? Could we look at this now through the lens of some of the interpreting uh, rules, the principles, uh, so that we can get to what is he really talking about here? Okay, here we go. You ready for this? Got your notes in front of you? Here's the first one. The first one is, is that we need to consider the historical context. We need to consider the historical context. Now, uh, essentially, the question that you're asking here is not only who's doing the speaking, but who is being spoken to? Who is being spoken to? And then, of course, what did it mean to them? You're gonna do your best to try to get back into the, the, the heart or the, the, the mind or the thoughts of the author and to say, what was he intending to get across? What was the message he was intending to get across to the original uh, ones who were listening? Now guys, this could be a little intimidating because I know that there's other tools and some of you are not real familiar wouldn't, and you probably wouldn't even use these tools like commentaries or um, Bible dictionaries and, and some of the other tools that, that maybe somebody who's gonna concentrate. I talked about the concordance last week so that you could see other verses that use certain words and things like this. But even if you didn't have those tools, one of the things you wanna do is to read what precedes that particular verse Sometimes you have to go back a chapter or two or three chapters and then read what comes after that verse just to get a feel for the, the setting in which uh, the author is talking about, all right? And usually it will, it will become pretty clear to you. So in this particular case, okay, this, this idea of fruit bearing, which is kind of what we're gonna zero in on tonight, what is the meaning of the fruit that he's talking about really? And, and what's the context there? This actually is set within a four chapter period in the Gospel of John. This discourse that we read here is part of a four chapters of Jesus's final discourse with his disciples. If you just glance over, if you do have Bibles open, if you glance over to chapter 13 and verse one, Okay, this is several chapters before this. It says, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And during the supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and he had come from God, and he was going back, rose up from the supper. So this is what we call the Last Supper. Okay, there's, there, that gives you a, a, a clue. These are Jesus' uh, final words to his disciples. This is not to the crowd. A lot of his teaching, there were thousands of people, or at least hundreds of people. This was to the 12. This was to his own. This is the guys that he had spent the last three years with and he's just hours away from going to the cross. That is so important. So, so when you're building this context, what is that context? Essentially, it's a farewell letter. It's a farewell discourse. And if you are getting ready to leave them in that physical sense, do you think that the things that he's saying there could in fact be priority? <laughs> 
that he's saying some of the most important things. He's summing up the important things that he's shared or pressed into them or modeled for them over these past three years. These are the last words he's going to share with him, and so he's really kind of coming to the point, this is what really matters. And so when you walk through chapter 13, for example, it says he showed them the full extent of his love. What did he want to press in? What did he want them to see? The Bible says that he got up from the table, got on his knees, and he started washing these guys' feet. That was what he wanted to leave the picture of. Uh, And they believed he was the son of God. Remember, Peter said, I'm not going to let you do this. You're God. You're not going to wash my feet. And he says, if you don't let me wash your feet, you don't have any part of me. Remember that? And then the last part of that chapter, he's saying, all of this, guys, is so that you'll love one another. You guys have to love one another. The world's never going to know. They're never going to believe if they don't see you guys genuinely loving one another. And then he ushers in chapter 14, and he says, you know, I'm getting ready to go someplace, and you guys aren't going to get to go with me this time. You've been following me everywhere, but now I'm going to a place you can't go. But I will come back for you, and I'm going to go get things ready for you so that there will be a place called heaven. And they're saying, where are you going? Why, Why can't we go there? We don't know the way. And that's where Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And so now he, he begins to share with them, guys, I know this is disturbing to you, this is distressing to you, but understand this, you're not going to be left alone. I know you might feel like you're orphans, like, like you've been abandoned, but you will not be left alone. There's going to be a dynamic that's going to be introduced where you can talk to me, and I'm going to be right there with you. In fact, it is my own spirit that is going to come and and live inside of you. You're going to be closer to me than you've ever been because my spirit isn't going to be out here. Now it's going to be on the inside. And that's chapter 14. Friends, that's the context of which now he's sharing So the Bible says that after he said those words in 14, he said, okay, guys, let's get up. And they left apparently the upper room. And if you guys can envision, this upper room was probably at the height of of Mount Zion, which is the top of the hill in Jerusalem. Okay, it's kind of the highest point. That's where that that last supper was, uh, was at. And they got up, and now they began to walk down this trail, these steps, down into a valley, and they were on their way to Gethsemane, which was not only down the valley, but then they'd come up the other side into this uh, Mount of Olives and, and the garden of the Olive Garden, okay? Can you picture it? And the, and the discourse continues, and apparently what happened was is while they're walking down through this valley, it would not have been uncommon to probably walk through some vineyards because that's where the vineyards would be on the side of the hill, and they would just, they wouldn't be like our uh, grape vineyards, you know, that are all propped up and everything. They just kind of were allowed to go here, and then, and then sometimes then they would, they would prop them up so that they'd actually be able to grow. Jesus must have seen one of these vineyards, and that's what prompted him to share these words. All right, that's the context. And he, he gets this picture in his mind that here's the vines, and and I'm like the, uh, the vine, and you guys are like the branches. Uh, and and here's, here's, what, here's what's going to happen. He says, you know, the, the high priority here, you're going to have to remain connected to me 
if anything of consequence is going to happen, if any fruit is going to um, be born of, you, of this. And then in verse 11, he says, I'm telling you this. He says, so all this thing about loving, all this thing about serving, all the thing about heaven and about the Holy Spirit, all of these things he's now summing up and he's saying, I'm telling you all this so that your joy might be complete. It's my joy that's going to be in you, and it's that joy that is going to, um, going to be complete. So let's go back now. If, if discovering the historical context is about who is being spoken to, you answer these questions. Who is being spoken to? The disciples. Just the disciples, not the crowd, but the disciples. And, and what was it that Jesus was trying to get them to understand? I, I would sum it up basically saying he's giving them final instructions in general. He's giving them some final instructions uh, so that they not only would be successful, uh, but they would be filled, filled with his, his joy. So this is the context. And, um, you know, so now let's go back to that verse 6 because that doesn't necessarily answer our question about the difficulty that we find in, in verse 6, does it? About, you know, if, if you're producing the fruit and you're cut off, uh, you know, is, is he talking about being, you know, burning in hell? All right, so we have to go to the second principle. Here it is. Here's the second principle. You need to define the key words. You need to look at these key words and then begin to dig down and try to discover what do they mean. And guys, here's where it gets interesting. You know, the words that are there can have a lot of meanings. Have you ever been in a situation where somebody said something to you and you totally misunderstood what they, they meant to you? They heard it one way, you heard it a different way. I know I've shared this before about the time uh, years ago when I traveled for the college I worked for and I was in the Miami airport and I had a pretty long layover before I was going down into the Caribbean and I, I was taking my little mandolin uh, with me, you know, like Joe plays back here. And I, uh, so I pulled it out. I, I was carrying it on with me. I pulled it out and I went off into kind of a corner and I was just kind of dinking around on it. And this guy comes up to me and he says, you ever see anybody play the mandolin with your teeth? And I said, uh, no, I, I don't think I have, you know, and he says, well, here, let me show you. And I just kind of held my instrument. I didn't really want to hand it over to him because I had a, a clear picture. This was, you know, it wasn't that far removed. Remember Jimi Hendrix, you know, and he put a pick in his mouth and he'd play his guitar like this, you know, with his teeth, you know, and his pick and he's playing it and it was always pretty cool. Um, so I, that's the picture I had. And he just kept after it, man. He was persistent, and he wouldn't let me go. And I thought, I'm not going to get rid of this guy unless I give him my instrument and let him show me how to do this. So finally I said, all right, here you go. So he takes it, and he doesn't go like this. He, he's holding it like this. All of a sudden, he pulls out his upper bridge, and he starts playing it like this. And I, I, never, <laughs> I never forgot that, obviously. And I just thought, I did not see that coming at all. You know what I'm saying? Words can have a totally different meaning. You just have to understand this. You could say, let's give a few examples. If I say the word batter, I could be talking about a cake mix, or I could be talking about a baseball player, right? Now that's two totally different meanings. You could use the word uh, lean, 
And you might say, well, they're gonna lean on me in tough times. And then it also could mean uh, what I hope to do when I get serious about my diet, you know? <laughs> what that might look like. Did you, did you know that the three-letter word pin has somewhere upwards north of 60 different meanings? Just that little word, pin, P-I-N. It can be the straight, sharp little object. It can be a, a bowling pin. It could be what a wrestler does to, to win his match. Uh, it could be the number that you use on your credit card to try to get some money out of your ATM. Do you, and the list could just go on and on and on and on and on. Do you guys begin to understand the challenge when you're going to a scripture, and now for, what's the, for tonight's purposes, what's the word we're trying to find the true meaning? It's the word fruit. What does the word fruit mean? Okay. Well, some of you say, well, obvious, it's the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, you know, patience, kindness, all that. The nine fruit of the, it's the fruit of the Spirit. Okay, are you sure? Did you know that, that there, the word fruit is used 44 times in the New Testament? And in my recollection or my count, there's at least 10 different usages or meanings behind that. Let me give you some examples. There is the fruit of repentance. Uh, there is the fruit of the vine. What do you think that's talking about? Actual grapes, right? There is a fruit that ha of the offering, which is probably talking about money. There is the fruit of life, which would encompass, he says, truth and righteousness. You know, and, and you, you can go down these different meanings and then there is the fruit of the Spirit. And then there is a fruit that implies the reproduction of your life as a disciple maker. So it does include, you know, passing this on, that, the, the, the message uh, to others. But there, how, how are you going to know then which of these is implied? And do you begin to understand how important this is, friends, if you look at a passage like verse 6? And then you suddenly make an assumption that all he's talking about is this multiplying fruit, this fruit of another disciple, and then you put it in that setting with the things that he's saying, and then, then, and then impose other things that he doesn't say at all, like the word uh, fire. <laughs> For you to assume that he's talking about hell there is, is what we call eisegesis, meaning you're importing something to that that's not necessarily st stated there directly. What, you want, what we want to do is what's called exegesis, meaning lift out what actually is there. That's just one of those principles that, that um, as you're kind of driving down and trying to figure, figure that out. So, you know, if, um, if we say that it means the fruit of the Spirit, um, you know, it can have certain meaning, but if it's one of these other things, then it might change the whole nuance of, of what is said there. Now, you're probably uh, ahead of me, because the third thing now, this leads us to the third principle, okay, how do we get to that true meaning? The third thing is you interpret uh, that, that unclear verse or word by other clear ones that are there, if that's possible. Interpret the unclear verse or word with the clear ones that may be there. So what I wanted to do, I wanted to walk you through and there's at least three verses in that section in chapter 15 
that the use of the word fruit is going to be very clear of what he's talking about. Okay, walk, walk through these with me. Look at verse four. He says, abide in me and I in you, for as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. That's very clear. So bearing fruit clearly is produced by remaining or abiding in Christ, right? Can we agree on that? That's the clear meaning of what he's saying. He's trying to impress upon them the value, the importance of abiding in him, which results in the, in the fruit. That's verse four. Verse eight, look at verse eight. He says, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. So I think that's, it's extremely clear that he's saying bearing fruit brings glory to God. There's something about that. And I wanna just point out too, by the way, friends, that he uses the word much. Jesus intentionally used the word much, so he's talking about quantity here. It matters to the Lord. Quantity matters to the Lord. It's very clear from that. Um, you know, so whatever we understand this fruit to be, uh, the more that there is, the, the more God is glorified by that. He's glorified by, by us bearing much fruit. And then the third one in verse 11 says, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So we said this before, bearing fruit is gonna give me uh, complete joy. It's gonna result in joy, all right? So, so it's, it's clear that he's, he's driving home these values about fruit bearing. Stay connected to the vine, okay? It's gotta, that, that is so foundational to, to any, any, fruit, any fruit that's gonna come about. And it says, as you do that, um, he says that this is gonna glorify God and that it's gonna result in, in your joy. So those are some clear verses that we see. But you may be one step ahead of me. And you're saying, Pastor, we still haven't really defined what the fruit he's talking about there yet, right? We still haven't really declared that. I mean, it could mean any one of those still. These are all helpful to move us there, but that leads us to the last one. And, and here's, here's the last principle I wanna share with you. Look for the most obvious meaning. Look for the most obvious meaning. And I think I need to press in on this because you're gonna, be, you're gonna be exposed to Bible teachers, especially if you watch the TV or media or some of these guys, and you just have to understand the very nature of what they're doing. If they're gonna be a teacher that's going to solicit your attention and your resources, your finances and all that, they're gonna, they're gonna do their very best to come across to you in such a way, I'm sharing with you things that you couldn't figure out on your own. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm gonna share secrets that only I have the key or the code to, especially in the area of prophecies and things like this. And they're gonna share things and you go, wow, how did they ever come up with that? I mean, they'll put numbers to names and things like that and say, this number adds up to this and that's gonna end up being the Antichrist. You've, I mean, we've heard those things, right? And you're just thinking, whoa, is that, is that accurate? Is that true? And I just have to tell you boldly tonight, that is not God's way. God's way is to make things clear for you and to make things simple for you. Anywhere I see Jesus, when he was pressed in, he did not make things more complicated. He didn't come like a secret that was over here. He came very clearly. 
And, and the more simple we were, the more clearly it was. Even parables, he was talking about the parables, which he spoke in a lot of the time, and they think, hey, man, they have a hidden meaning, right, a hidden. But do you remember what he said? It's hidden to the people that think they got all the answers, to the proud, to the arrogant. It's hidden to those, but to the children, to the simple, there's a clear meaning that's gonna come right out from there, and you're gonna be able to pick it up. So his way is not to hide or to be a secret. He wants to reveal these things very clearly to you. It's not his way uh, to kind of, kind of tuck it away or put it on the shelf. And so we need to look for the most obvious meaning. He doesn't want to conceal. He wants to reveal. All right? So uh, just one more thing. Just, just really be careful when somebody comes and they, they kind of come at you with some deep meaning and they're, getting, and they're getting into details and they're starting to go off on all kinds of tangents with these little details, that is a red flag. That is a red flag. Because the Holy Spirit's way is to make that truth clear to us. And, and it, it'll, it'll tell on itself uh, whether that's what's happening, okay? So as I'm, as I'm looking at this passage, and I'm trying to get to, going to back to verse 6 again, what is he saying there? Let's go back to it again. Again, what's the context? They're probably walking down the, the trail. He probably comes across an actual vine. He's making it an object lesson, so they're literally looking at this thing. He's saying, listen, you've got to stay connected. We, we established that. If you're not connected... They know what's going to happen. Anybody knows what's going to happen. The branch is, is going to lose its life, its vitality, and it's going to begin to wither, right? And, and then the result is there is not going to be any fruit as a result. And so what Jesus essentially is saying here is, is that the fruit, whatever that fruit is, it has lost its purpose. A, a, a branch without fruit is a tree or a, or a vine that has lost its purpose. And the only thing left for it is to be gathered up and used for a fire. Now for them, I, I, I put myself in the disciple, the, the listeners, I don't think they would have thought, oh wow, we're gonna go to hell if we don't lead other people to Christ. That is not what was going on in th those listeners. You know what they probably thought? They thought, well that's not all that bad. <laughs> You know, we, all, we, we have to build a fire to make food, or cook our food, right? So there is some purpose. It's just not what the key purpose, not, not the sole purpose that was intended. So the context tells us in this that whatever this fruit is, the bottom line is he's saying this is going to encompass God's purpose in your life. And so now, if you go down all of the, the 10 meanings of fruit, you're basically saying any one of those could fit in there, right? Because all of those are God's purpose. Repentance is, is part of God's purpose for us, is not? The fruit of life, meaning truth and righteousness, is part of his purpose. Obviously, the spirit and the fruit of the spirit and all the characteristics and the multiplication, all of these things are encompassed, but, the, but what Jesus is wanting us to be aware of is is to stay connected to him. You've got to stay connected to him to have any kind of fruit that is going to reveal that purpose or that is going to result in his purpose being fulfilled in your life. Does that make sense tonight? 
And that, that kind of begins to change things if you just lift out that one verse and somebody goes off on this trail and is, is, is abusing that, really. And this is just an example, because there's, there's endless number of scriptures that that potentially could happen. Now, just before we close, I want you to see with me this relationship, because now what he does, and throughout this passage, he is weaving in and out another truth. And it's quite interesting when you see this as it lays out. Because as, as you're looking for this obvious, um, this obvious meaning, he is, he is now declaring in verse 7, because he's telling them the dynamics of prayer in connection with fruit bearing. Watch this in verse 7. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Now, earlier he said, if you abide in me, what's going to happen? There's going to be fruit bearing. But now he interjects, there's, there's also going to be answered to prayer. So watch this. Remaining in Christ then produces answers to prayer, answered prayer. And he's relating this abiding. Um, you know, he, uh, he then says the answers to prayer are actually going to bring glory to God. He says, whatever you ask in my name, this will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And then the third thing is, answers to prayer are gonna give me complete joy. Watch, until now you've not asked, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. Now, have you ever read John 15 and begin to relate the fruit bearing to the answers to prayer? Did you notice that fruit bearing brings glory to God? Fruit bearing brings joy to the believer's heart. But also answers to prayer bring glory to God, and they also bring joy. He's using them interchangeably. So the message for us tonight and from this section that he's wanting to leave, he's wanting to drop with these disciples in this last discourse, the priority is says, guys, listen. Here's what it comes down to. I bear fruit by asking in prayer. I bear fruit by asking in prayer. Fruit bearing and prayer are attached completely. And the same purpose for both applies to both. The abiding, you can't talk to the Lord unless you're abiding in him, okay? The, 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 uh, the fruit or the, uh, the joy, and then the glory to God, all of those things are going to come as a result of that. So I, I just think his word to, for us tonight is just simply this, is that the root of all fruit, you could write that down, the root of all fruit is prayer. Apart from that praying, apart from that communion, that communication with him, taking those things, and he, he reinforces this over and over. I was thinking of James 4, where he says, you do not have because you do not ask. And then one last one, look at verse 16. He sums it all up. This whole section now, 1 through 17, the whole section, he now sums this up, and he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide so that, remember we've seen that? That's that Hena clause, remember? So that, you always pay attention to that. So you, you're doing this fruit bearing, so that, what? 
whatever you ask in the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Can you, you guys see the connection? If we want to be about the purpose of God tonight, the fruit of, of the life of Christ in us, all the things we mention, if we want to be about that, it's all going to rest on prayer. We do not have because we do not ask. Isn't that, isn't that beautiful? Of what Christ is impressing upon them. And so now, what we do tonight, what are we going to do, do about that? What do you think we ought to do? <laughs> you got it! I can just see a smile on the Lord's face. We should pray. What did you walk in tonight? What burden did you walk in carrying tonight? What we're going to do in just a few moments, um, some of our leaders, our elders, and our prayer partners, pastors, they're going to come up and be available tonight. You know, Jesus also said where two or three are gathered, there's power in agreement. Maybe, maybe tonight is a night that you just need to come in agreement with somebody and let your request be known, and they can pray with you. Some of you may want to do this privately. We've got some kneeling benches. You can utilize that for this time. Tonight, could we be a house of prayer? Could we spend the next few moments just taking these needs before the Lord? You know, the, the memory verse is there at the bottom of your notes. Do you see it? Yeah. Okay. That's your, uh, what, that's your fifth one, right? I'm, I'm not going to take the time to go. I'm, I'm assuming you've memorized the previous four, right? Right? Okay. I didn't get a real strong affirmation there, but I'm, uh, I'm trusting that you're working on it. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like the wise man who built his house on the rock. And tonight, here's my question. When we go to prayer, and if you want, want to be so bold and, and just feel the freedom tonight to come out, step out, just have a prayer with, with one of our prayer partners, Take it before the Lord, agree together. Here's my question. What fruit, what fruit do you need to see in your life right now? That's what his message tonight. We're going to pray and we're going to ask him. Maybe it is the fruit of repentance. Maybe tonight there's something that you did and you just need to, uh, to say it out loud to a brother or sister that loves you, that you feel uh, trustworthy. I hope that'll be the case. If you've got a relationship that, uh, that's not going well, marriage or maybe with your kids, and you just want to say, I'm going to trust you, God. I want to see the fruit of reconciliation in that relationship. Maybe your finances or something at work. Maybe your health. Maybe on a brother or sister's health or a family member. Something that God's laid a burden on you and you just want to come in agreement. We're going to take the next few minutes to just be ushered in and to spend some time before the Lord. So why don't we stand together, and, um, and could my, uh, my prayer partners just come, be available? I ask them to kind of go on the side of the kneeling bench, so if you do want to come and just privately uh, lay this before the Lord, and feel free, even as they come, to come. Uh, Josh and the team are going to just lead us in some quiet music to start, and then we'll sing, sing a little bit. But let me uh, just say a quick prayer as we are ushered into this time, and you just come as God leads you, okay? Father, thank you for tonight and just for the power of your word. Thank you, Lord, that we can understand you and your Holy Spirit makes that possible. God, I pray for the brothers and sisters that are here tonight. And I know for some in this room, their hearts are heavy. And you said, cast your care upon me because I care for you. Lay everything at your feet through prayer and supplication. Don't be anxious about anything. 
So God, if there's a person tonight that did, did walk in with some things that are laid heavy on their heart, would they put into practice what we've learned? It doesn't mean anything if we walk out of here and don't practice it. We're like the person built a house on sand. And it, it's just not going to last, especially when the crisis comes. So could we put this into practice? And I just trust you for that tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.